Sometimes people think that because I quote a verse a lot, it's my verse. You know, I didn't write any of this stuff in the Bible. I don't know if you know that, but I didn't do it. One of my verses that I love, though, that I've said so often to the church, and I believe in my, in my heart, is, is, is Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, when you look at those words there and you realize this is what God really wants for you, you have to ask the question, why? Why does he want that for us? Is it because, you know, we're just so wonderful? We're so wonderful that God says, you know what, I, I just, I have to do this. These are a bunch of wonderful people. Or maybe we think, you know, I've done so much for God. I deserve this. I deserve what, you know, I deserve a future and a hope. Well, I can say this to you clearly, especially after planning these last two sermons. God's plans for us are plans for grace. He really doesn't out to whack people, you know. I think that there's a lot of people, they don't want to come to church because they're afraid they're going to get whacked. You know, they're going to, somebody's going to show, you know, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. In reality, you know, you might hear some things that you're doing wrong. I got that. I understand that. But in reality, God is really a God of grace. He's, he's extending his grace. If he didn't extend his grace to us, he would be whacking us all the time. He would be saying, you know what? I, you did the wrong thing. I'm going to get you for that. But he, he's a God of grace. So, you know, it's, it's God's unmerited love, which we really have such a hard time understanding because we don't understand unmerited love because, quite frankly, we kind of like the people that like us. That's merited love, not unmerited love. I mean, certainly if I, if I like you because you like me, then that's something that may be mutual, but it's not certainly unmerited love. And it certainly isn't because I, didn't, I did some things for God that, you know, he couldn't do for himself. Do you realize there is not a thing that God ever commands you to do that he couldn't do for himself? Not a thing. Not a thing. But he chooses to use us out of something called grace. Grace. He could leave us alone, but he doesn't. Every once in a while, I have one of these crazy moments. And one of these crazy moments is what happens is I think, you know what? I was pretty good. You know what? You know what God lets me do then? He lets me fall on my face. He lets me just fall flat on my face. Now, that's not such a bad place to be, by the way. Once you get down, you've got to look up. And that's the best way to be. I, you know, I need to look up at this point. But I realize that when I've fallen on my face, and God has allowed me to fall on my face because I thought I was so good at something or whatever, you know what? It was my own fault in the first place. And that's really the problem in our Christian life. We're trying to live a Christian life without God's grace. And God is trying to give us a graceful life, full of grace. There's a difference between the two. And one is frustrating. I have to say that. If you're going to go out there and you're going to say, I'm going to live this Christian life and I'm going to do it under my own strength, I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be frustrating. But if you will live this Christian life under God's grace, it will be amazingly rewarding. See, every work we do, each work we do, each work is a work of grace. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
What we believe sometimes is, is that if we, if we put all of ourselves into it, then we will have a great result. In reality, there is some work that we have to do, and we do have to do our preparation. But it is God's grace that makes us effective. Uh, several years ago, I was invited to uh, go to South Korea and preach. In fact, what happened was Tallawood Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. They called me up and said, uh, we'll pay your way to uh, uh, South Korea if you'll go over there and preach to the people. They, they arranged the, the, uh, the churches to preach in and everything. I really just kind of got on the plane and flew over there and, and preached, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in Seoul and then in Gwangju, which is in the south part of South Korea. And while I was there, I encountered this young man who was also, he was also over there to preach. And this young man was uneducated. I mean, at least he didn't have the same education level that I had. And he was unpolished. You know what I'm saying? His, his messages were just not as polished as they should be. And I, and I, you know, and I was, here's, let me be honest with you guys. I looked down on him. I'm just be honest with you. And you know what? When I watched him preach and heard him preach, you could not believe the hundreds of people that came to Christ because of him. And, and, I, and I, I looked at that, and you know what? I was ashamed. And you know why I was ashamed? He was preaching out of God's grace, and I was preaching out of my ability. And I'm going to tell you, there's a measure that is much further apart. Because when you're preaching out of God's grace, you've got God's effectiveness. And so that the power in a testimony is a work of grace. So a young man could tell this, this, his testimony, it was a work of grace. Just as in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Amazing thing about grace is there was grace in the testimony, and there's grace received by the people. And the people were giving grace to the testimony. You understand what's going on there? It's like this great circle that goes around. Grace is coming out. Grace is being received. Grace is being returned. And this is the beautiful thing that happens. That's when real revival starts to happen there. So this grace was coming you know, out of the testimony to the hearers. The hearers were receiving it by grace and returning it by grace. You know, the thing about it is, is that in our society today, many people do not hear God's grace. It's all around them and they're not hearing. They're so busy doing other things. They get on their phones, they're texting. They even do that while they're in church. They don't realize that God's grace is right there being preached to them and they don't, they don't hear it. They don't hear it. They're sort of like the people that get on airplanes and don't listen to the flight attendants. You know the reason we don't listen to the flight attendants? Because we want to show that we're sophisticated enough to know what these flight attendants are already going to say. And we don't have to listen to them. And so the flight attendants tell us that we should put those seatbelts on light, uh, low on our hips and tight. They tell us that they're where the exits are. You know the story, you know. They tell us where the exits are. They tell us that there was, there's lights on the floor if they will, that will light up, you know, that will show us the way if it becomes dark. They tell us how to put those life vests on, but none of us know where they, things are. We wouldn't know where to get them out if we had to, you know. And they tell us, don't smoke unless you leave the plane. And so the thing about it is, they say, obey the flight attendants, 
And the only time that we would have wished we had listened is if the plane was going down. And you know what? The plane is going down. That is the truth. There are always less days in front of you than there was behind you. They're going to be that direction. You're going down. Now, it's going down slowly. And you're saying, but I don't have to stand before the judgment seat. Yes, you do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the judgment seat you will stand in front of. It says, and you will stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ to show what you've done, whether good or bad, in the body. And you'll be rewarded for those, those things. This plane is going down. But right now you have God's grace. You have God's grace to listen. You have God's grace to act. You have God's grace. It's like the old westerns. Remember the old westerns? They'd tie somebody up, put them on the railroad tracks. You know what I'm talking about? They're laying there on the railroad tracks. Well, instead of trying to get loose, what we're doing is enjoying the sun. We're saying it's warm out here. Kind of feels good. The train's coming, though. The train's coming. And, you know, the fact is, is that we are a people when we say, we've got God's grace here. And we're saying, no, we're good. We don't need it. We do need God's grace for everything we do. Our words must be words of grace, according to the scripture. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Colossians 4.6 also says, Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, at this point, I want to confess to you, I am unqualified to preach. I have let my mouth go loose too many times, and I have said some things that I should not have said. I've said things out of anger. I've said things out of you know, frustration. I've said things that I should not have said to people. I, and, I, and, and by the way, folks, I'm not over it yet. I haven't stopped saying those things. Now, there's another side, and I don't want to use this as an excuse, but it is really the truth. And that is, is that you don't know the way I used to talk. I used to be worse, you know. But so it's God's grace that is upon me that is changing me. And he is ever changing me in this. And I'll tell you the truth. I wouldn't even notice that I was saying the things that I was saying to people If it were not for the Holy Spirit, which is also God's grace. And I have God's grace on me to change me. Just as you have God's grace on you to change you. And it will change your words. All of our service is according to grace. According to the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10 says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. It is God's grace that you had the former pastors that you had before I came. They were God's grace to me as well. My responsibility was not to go and destroy what they had done but to build upon it 
Many of you came from other churches that did not, you didn't have all of the, your life here at Thalia Lynn. So you are, I need to build upon the grace from those pastors and those Sunday school teachers and, and those people that have influenced you in your life. And that is my responsibility, but it is God's grace to me that you, that you have had God's grace on you. That every Sunday school teacher needs to realize that they're building on all of those teachers that they've had before. Sometime in that person's life, if it were, even if it were down to when they were three or four or five years of age until the time that they are in right now, they're building upon the, the grace that was, that was given through those Sunday school teachers. Sometimes when people get a new job, what they try to do is they try to be a hero. In other words, what they try to do is they try to kind of dismiss the things that have happened in the past. I'm going to, I'm going to build on something else. And they want to be a new hero. If the old leader is revered, they've got to do more. And if the old leader was uh, incompetent, they're going to save the group. See, the missing thing is this. Is that we should be in a collaboration, collaboration with you, collaboration with the Holy Spirit, collaboration in grace to build people up. You see, there is something in and those who and uh, people who work with people is what I'm trying to say. In a church, it's God's grace even to this point. See, we don't need another hero, as Tina Turner sings. See, we need someone who works with us. We need the Holy Spirit who works with us. We need God's grace that works with us. And this work, we work in the grace of the grace that was given to us by grace. That's what we do. And so we do this by grace. We're building upon each other. And we're building, uh, you know, you know, iron on iron. We're, we're building on, on each other in order to become something that we wouldn't have otherwise. And that's God's grace. Grace is upon our living. God, and, and let me say this, God holds no good thing from the faithful. Now, I know that some people will say, well, you're kind of a Pollyanna on that, aren't you? And the answer is no. I'm not going to try to tell you that, that bad things are good. But what I am going to try to tell you is good things come from God. Psalm 84:11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, there's going to be bad things that are going to happen to you. Every last person has bad things that happen to them. Some of those things are horrible things. And God does not send those bad things to you, but he certainly does allow them to come into your life. And he does, he allows them so that he can display his grace to you. You see, if everything you ever had was sweet, you'd never notice anything sweet. But God allows these things. He doesn't cause them, but he allows them. First Peter chapter 1 verse 6 says, In this you rejoice. What is he talking about in this? He's talking about tough times, struggles, hard things that happen. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, how are we to receive, or how do we to 
have a result of the praise and the glory of the Lord because we grow in the Lord. We grow in the Lord. Growth in the Lord is like exercising a muscle. That muscle needs to be challenged. It is then we don't challenge it, that we find that the muscle will wither away. We don't say, you know what, I'm saving my left arm for when I get older. I'm not going to use it now. You know, and when I get older, I'll have a fresh arm. It doesn't work that way, does it? You challenge the arm. You know, some of you, I know, don't exercise. Now, you know you should, but you don't, do you? You know, I had a guy in my last church. I thought I saw him walking one day, and I said, I said did I see you walking? He said, if you ever see me walking, you pick me up because my car broke down. You know, <laughs> I'm saying to you. I mean, I know you see those bumper stickers, you know, that's, you know, 26.2 or whatever. I saw one 0.0. You know, that means they don't run marathons. That's what it means. And you, people are saying not no pain, no gain. They're saying no pain, no pain. That's what they're saying. But those who never challenge their muscles will eventually have no muscles to challenge. And those that don't have any faith that is challenged will never have any faith. That's really what it is. And so we go through these things and the result is a praise and a glory to God. It's a praise and a glory to God because, you know, there's people always watching us to see what we're going through there with that. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet uh, trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, God doesn't merely give us the growth through each challenge, but he, he makes something good come out of it as well. And again, you're going to say, well, you're certainly a Pollyanna on this. I am not, I'm going to tell you. I do believe that bad things happen. I do believe that people get hurt. But I think that God changes the results of the bad things. Not the bad thing. It's still bad. Into something that is good. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And then we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So what we find here is, is God is weaving the bad into the good. I would say to every youth who's had that boyfriend or that girlfriend that said, I think we should be friends from now on. And how it hurt at that moment that God has a plan for you. And it's not to leave you in the condition that you're in. I would say to each one of you that has gone through a divorce, yes, God hates divorce. It's a terrible thing. But in that divorce, it could be that God is pulling you closer to himself than you have ever had him before. And he's giving you a new life that you would never have had before. It doesn't make the divorce good. It just makes God bringing out something good. And that job that you lost, that job that you lost that was paying the bills that may make you even, believe me, folks, I've had to default on a house before. I know what it's like to lose a house and lose all of your savings. I know what that's like. I want you to say this, but the glory of that was is the next time that I had something like that happen, I gave it away instead of trying to, to fight for it. And it wasn't that important to me anymore. And houses and money became very, very insignificant to me. 
You see, things that happen like this, that evil that was done against you, do you realize with that evil that was done against you, it gave you the opportunity to show the grace and to give forgiveness and to realize that you could be cleansed from bitterness. That's what happens. See, if I had not gone through the things that I've had to go through, and if you had not had to go through, go through the things that you have gone through, then I can tell you, you wouldn't be the person that you are today. And the person that you are today, when you have been faithful, it's much greater than the person that you would have been if you had never gone through these sort of things. And let me say this to you guys. I want to say this because I've realized the grace of God is upon this congregation. You are the most gracious, loving, forgiving congregation I know. And I say that after being here over 17 years. I'm not saying this as somebody who's trying to win favor at the end. What I'm trying to say to you is, is this is where that's who you are. And I am here by God's grace, just as you are. It says in the scripture that God strengthens the faithful. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one says, you then by my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know what that is? That time that you're struggling, you know, that time you're going through the difficult time. Do you know when God gives you the strength right then, right then he gives you his grace and he helps you through that next day. You know, a lot of times what we want to do is we we would like to have tomorrow's grace today. I'm going through this struggle and I want to know that tomorrow's grace is there because I don't think that tomorrow I'm going to be able to make it. I'm making it today because of God's grace, but I don't think I'm going to make it tomorrow. So God, can you give me tomorrow's grace today? And the answer is God doesn't do that. I remember my professor in in seminary, uh, Oscar Thompson, who had bone cancer. Uh, He said in his testimony that he feared waking up in the middle of the night and, you know, just being just in that, you know, absolute fear of of dying. And he said it never came. The moment never came. And the reason was, he said, because God's grace was right there. God's grace always for the moment. And he said, he said, if God gave you his grace for tomorrow, today, it it would be a waste of God's grace because God's grace is for us today. It strengthens us in the day that we need it. And while I was not there, I heard from another student that a day or so before Dr. Oscar Thompson died, he said, God's grace is just so great. Each day he had God's grace and he strengthened him. God limits the suffering of the faithful though. First Peter chapter five, verse 10 says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. If you are going through a difficult time in suffering, and I'm talking about mostly physical here, you know what? God will not leave you forever in that suffering. That's a beautiful thing, folks. And I know that most of the time what we do in church is, is that we, you know, it, it bothers me sometimes when we're, we go to a prayer meeting and there's a 97 year old person and we're praying that they are, that though they're suffering, that they can just continue on suffering because we're going to, you know, we want them to just live. 
When in reality, God would want to take them out of their suffering and do what? Take them home with him where they were not suffering anymore. Just recently, we had a uh, a prayer request from a mom that said she wanted to pray for her, her child. Her child who was physically suffering so much. And she said, just pray that God will either do a miracle and heal him. Or God will take him home because no more suffering. And that's always going to be the case, folks. When there's a physical suffering that you're going through, God will either heal you, or you may work through doctors and medicines and everything else, or he will take you home. But his purpose is not to leave you in your suffering. The story of salvation ought to prove that. Jesus didn't want us to have eternal suffering. So he came and he died for us so we wouldn't go through that. And so we recognize his grace upon people when sometimes he just takes them home and takes them out of their suffering. So we pray and receive according to God's grace. That's really how prayer works. We're really not out here demanding from God because if we start demanding from God, oh, what do we have to, uh, you know, to hold God's feet to the fire? How are we going to make him do it? I'm, I'm going to force you to do this, God. Not possible, is it? What happens to us? We realize that we are either going to receive his grace or we're just going to be making a lot of noise while we're praying. The humble receive his grace. The scripture supports this. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God does not owe us anything. He would be just as holy if he didn't give us a thing. And we will never be able to say, I've done so much for you, God. You now owe me this either. So we cannot make our prayers into demands or commands because God has no obligation in any of that. And so what we do is, is that when we go in with our pride and our, and our, and our, our, our saying we, we command and demand and we reserve all of this, we're not walking with God. We're not being humble before him. And there is no promise at all for God giving anything to the proud. What does it say there? He gives grace, he poses the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's what we're looking for. And so what happens to us is that the thing that we're demanding is the very thing that is keeping us from seeing his grace because we're doing so with so much pride. And often the evidence of our pride is found in that we have received nothing from God when we ask. The evidence that we're full of ourselves and full of our pride. We didn't get anything. And maybe that's the reason a lot of people don't want to come to prayer meeting. Maybe that's the reason that they, they say, I, it's a fruitless endeavor. I don't get anything when I go. Well, it could be pride that has caused that. But we draw close to God by grace. <laughs> I love this scripture. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy And find grace in our time of need. Our confidence comes in the fact that we have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Our confidence comes, in fact, that we are a part of the family of God. Our confidence comes, in fact, because we've been made righteous by Jesus Christ. And this throne that we approach is the throne of God, which is the, that is the one of grace. And we come close because his grace is on us. I'm afraid that many of today's big churches are not built on grace. They're built on pride. They're built on their numbers. They count their numbers that are in attendance. They count their numbers of their money. They count their numbers in their buildings. And they perform and they tip their hats to God. But here's my dream, folks. I've dreamed that it doesn't have to be this way. I have believed that God's Spirit could so grow a church that by grace we could approach the throne of grace and we could see that God would pour his grace out upon us. So much grace on us that we couldn't keep it in. And we would start sharing that grace with our neighbors and our friends and our and families around us. And there would then be born out of this a God-sent revival. Not one built on the pride but built on the grace of God. And as we draw closer to the throne of grace, what I ask for each time is, I want grace, Lord. Just grace. Not what I deserve. I want grace. Grace comes before all else in our lives. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul has been praying. He's been praying for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may, be, may, may rest upon me. Paul's got this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. Some have thought that he could have vision problems because in one of, his, uh, one of the letters he says, I wrote this part right here. See how big the letters are. Uh, Some have thought that maybe he had epilepsy or or something like that. We don't know what he has. But what the message from God was is that my grace is sufficient for you. Here's the story, folks. That's not just for Paul. None of us are perfect. His grace is sufficient for us. His grace is sufficient for us to be effective in all. And that's for all of us because what we do without God amounts to nothing. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. See, there is no true fruit if we do not abide in Christ. What does it say we can do without him? Nothing. Nothing. We need his grace. See, what happens to us so often is we think, I will work harder, I will do more, I will get what needs to be done. And the Lord says, that's not the way it works. In the saving life of Christ, Major Ian Thomas said he was in utter despair in his ministry. He had diligently served the Lord for seven years, working very, very hard, and he realized that he was a total failure. And the admission of that total failure, he went and he, you know, he, he spoke to the Lord and he said, I am a failure. I give up. And you know what the Lord said to him? Here's what he recorded. 
the Lord said this, you see with utmost sincerity, you have been trying to live for me on my behalf, the life that I've been waiting for seven years to live through you. You're not going to live this Christian life successfully on your own. You will fail. Guaranteed. The only way that you're going to be able to live an effective Christian life is to give up and let him live it through you. That is the only way. When I was doing master life groups and it was six months of of intense discipleship I would have with these people. And it was over two hours of, of homework every week. And they would come and they would find out about witnessing and praying and, and, and many other and forgiving people and all of this stuff. And I remember one of the ladies in one of my groups said, I, I thought I was already doing everything a Christian is supposed to do. And, and now I'm not, even, I'm not even doing close to what I need to be doing as a Christian. And what happened is about the sixth week of the six months that I would be in that, you know what they would do? They would give up. They would give up. Didn't mean they quit coming into the uh, the groups. Didn't mean they quit doing the uh, homework, but they gave up. They said, I can't do this Christian life anymore. And that's when the miracles started happening. When they finally gave up, when they finally said, if this Christian life is going to be lived, it's going to be Christ living it through me. That's the only way it's going to work. It's got to be a work of grace. See, it must be grace working in me. It must be grace. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. But the grace of God that is with me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you don't do any work. I'm trying to tell you the work that you do is done by the grace of God in you. It is in cooperation with the spirit and it is a work of grace. And then it changes. Our life changes. Even our worship changes. You see what happens is because they tell me sometimes, preacher, don't preach on that. Don't preach on that. That'll make people feel guilty. They won't come back if they feel guilty. You see, and so we we say, oh, Lord, don't let the preacher preach on something that I know I need to do, but I don't want to do. Oh, preacher, don't you preach on tithing because it'll make me feel guilty. Oh, preacher, don't you preach on witnessing because it'll make me feel guilty. Preacher, why don't you preach on being a good citizen? I'm pretty good at that. See, that's the thing. But when the spirit of grace is working in you, you won't need to feel guilty. You will obey. That's the spirit of grace upon us. And if we don't do that, folks, let me be honest with you. If we're going to just come in here and kind of play religion, this is just a bunch of, just a bunch of religious rituals. 